0: Hi everyone, I hope that you're doing well before you enjoy this podcast I just wanted to remind you that I am running the London Marathon this year for the Royal Institute of the Blind it's October the second and I'll leave the link in the description for this so that you can go and donate if you can Um, I would be really appreciative So, thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the AJ on the Line podcast. My name is Adam. I'm sat here with Joe. Jimmy's not with us. He's a busy man. Hard to get hold of sometimes. But we've got an Italian Grand Prix to review in a few moments time. But it's really hard to put into words. But I I kind of feel like I shouldn't start this podcast without paying tribute to Queen Elizabeth II. Who, as most of the world now knows, died on on thursday and i think the best way that i can describe uh, my admiration for her is that she touched so many people's lives in a positive way and if i can um, do a fraction of that then i would be really proud and i know joe is cringing right now because he doesn't like these sentimental moments but yeah i, I just want to pay tribute to the queen a great person and a great life lived and dedicated to a lot of people um, that were not herself, uh, that weren't herself. So yeah, thoughts with the royal family at this time. Although it can be a little bit of a, a soap opera of the royal family and reality TV, they are still a family, um, and it's still a loss of human life, which hurts a lot. Um, and clearly, the Queen meant a lot to people, so yeah. Anyway, the Queen was at the first Grand Prix that ever occurred in Formula 1, the British Grand Prix. She never went to one after, not because she didn't like it. Um, She just preferred horse racing, I think. Um, Speaking of horses, though, this is the Italian Grand Prix. This is the home of the prancing horse, Ferrari. Were they going to win? No, they didn't. Uh, But it was a great race um, in which they were a great part of. Oh, I'm really messing up here it's really hard to kind of go from the queen to talking about f1 um but that's what we'll do now joe how are you doing how would you rate the race i think we need to go back to to that traditional way of starting because <laughs> i'm struggling for words here for once
1: um so, no, it's quite a hard race to rank, really. I can't quite work out how how, how entertained I was during the race. I think it was all... Were you not
0: entertained?
1: I wasn't not entertained, but I wasn't on the edge of my seat. Um, I think I'll just give it a five, straight-up five. Yeah.
0: I don't usually get involved in this, but I think you're right. It was probably an average race and average races aren't necessarily bad races because if average races were bad races, what would be the point in watching Formula One if most of them are bad or most races are bad. So yeah, plenty of things going on, often on the track. And yeah, enough moving parts for us to be uh, watching it for Sunday afternoon for just over an hour because it's a quick race the italian grand prix isn't it because they're going so fast um anyway should we try and summarize it joe can do it's a good idea isn't it so um i guess it's no breaks without jimmy but in three two one joe
1: so Charles Leclerc started on pole the two mclarens lined up on the second row behind but lando norris got off to a poor start dropped down the order quickly um
0: yeah getting overtaken by his teammate Max Verstappen Pierre Gazzi, and he managed to just fend off Fernando Alonso and Nick DeFries, who were just behind him. Meanwhile, George Russell kept second place, which he had he had ah, he had inherited to New
1: inherited due to a series of grid penalties affecting the likes of Verstappen Hamilton, Sainz and Perez, who were all starting lower down the grid. Those cars started to make progress, especially Max Verstappen, who was already up to second by the end of lap two and set about chasing Charles Leclerc for the lead. I um, oh, said to it them again.
0: It's ridiculous how quickly Max Verstappen can side through the field, but such is the way that he and that car are really working well together. Meanwhile, further back, Carlos Sainz was making great progress and giving the... Italian crowd something to cheer about as one Ferrari led and another one closed in on on the leaders by going through the pack at quite a good rate of knots compared to Lewis Hamilton who had started on the grid alongside him in 19th with Sainz being 18th. However, Hamilton had kind of got boxed out on the first corner and actually had a bit of damage after going over the curbs and then a piece of Valtteri Bottas's car, his old teammate, hitting him on what is known as the brow, but it's a new piece of bodywork for this year that just goes over the front of the wheel. Not that that's relevant to the end result of this race. Anyway, the pit stop started to happen. Who was into the pits first? It was actually Sergio Perez. We don't actually know why he came in so early, but one suspects he was in some sort of issue in in terms of tyre wear. Uh, or there might have been a slow puncher, but that put him right to the back of the pack where he had some overheating brakes. Plenty of smoke, wasn't there, Joe?
1: Oh, yeah, it was. Uh, there were some hot brakes. He had to cool them down, which is very difficult on a circuit with braking zones that uh, require the maximum braking force. But shortly after that, he wasn't the only car that was smoking because uh, Sebastian Vettel grinded to a halt and that brought out the virtual safety car, which did trigger a pit stop from Charles Leclerc, although it didn't quite take full advantage of it because it did go green midway through the pit stop. This meant that they were on different strategies, and I've lost my train of thought.
0: This meant that Leclerc and Verstappen the two people fighting for the race effectively were on different strategies you're right joe leclerc had pitted early while the others were going a little bit slower but like joe said not the whole time it was in the pit and leclerc went on to medium tires from soft tires but he had to get those medium tires 40 laps to the end of the race 40 laps is a lot and Even though it was only five laps more than Ferrari had planned, it was going to be a challenge for Leclerc to maintain uh, a good enough pace. And I said, uh, so I'm going to hand it over to Joe.
1: I'm trying to remember what happened. I must have blanked out this mid part of the race. What did happen?
0: Are you handing it back to me? Can do. Anyway, Max Verstappen was leading. George Russell was second. Those two were yet to pit Charles Leclerc was closing in on the medium tyres, but he had to make those tyres last. He started to slow down in terms of the the rate in which he caught the leaders, and Verstappen and George Russell pitted a bit later on, going on to the medium tyres as well. However, they could go a lot quicker, as they hadn't used up the tyres as much as Leclerc. Leclerc was able to get past George Russell into second place before he did another pit stop and that was plan c at that point there's many there's many a plan when it's ferrari but plan c appeared to be a two-stop strategy which is really much slower than a one stop in italy because the cars are going so fast down the main straight past the pit lane i think it's 24 seconds the car lose or the cars lose ...when they're in the pits, uh, which in comparison to Silverstone, I think it's about 18 or 19 seconds. And these seconds matter in a race like this. Anyway, Verstappen now had trap position, but Leclerc had the advantage of fresher rubber. Did he use it? No, he couldn't really make an impact. He was really struggling to catch anyone really uh, because the tyres were just not giving him the speed that he needed and I think I said her in that sentence so I'm going to give it back to you are you aware of where we are now?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah Um, Other people to sort of run long into the race were Hamilton, Alonso and Norris, who all stopped late for softs. Hamilton made pretty good use of that, actually dropping down to 12th because of his pit stop, but immediately within about three laps getting up to 6th. Fernando Alonso possibly could have done the same, but ultimately had to retire. Lando Norris, speaking of seconds mattering, had just a 2.5 second stop longer than normal, ...at five seconds... ...but ended up right in the middle of a bunch of traffic... ...that probably ultimately cost him the place to Hamilton... Um, ...but Yvette us had a...
0: Yeah, so Norris was in fifth place... ...doing a brilliant drive after having a really poor start... ...that we mentioned at the beginning of this monologue... ...and he probably should have been fifth... ...it would have been probably a battle between his, him and Hamilton... ...towards the final few laps... ...however that wasn't to be after a slow stop... ...he, he came out of the pit lane... Straight into a basil, a battle, not basil, that is a really tasty condiment to a meal on a side note. Although I think that's going off topic, so I've got to give it back to Joe now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, just a few laps after these, and uh, a safety car comes out. Daniel Ricciardo has to park his car in between the two Lesmo corners, and this is where the controversy comes, because there were six laps to go of the race. Would we get any more racing? Ultimately, no. They finished under the same order that there was a... That's not come out right at all. Um, Go on, Adam.
0: So, yeah, uh, Max Verstappen won. Leclerc came second. A frustrated second because he felt that At least now that he caught up with Mm -hmm. Verstappen, yes, through a safety car, he might be able to have a go. And the Ferrari fans agreed. They, They were booing the decision not to get the race underway. You heard the whistles as well. And they weren't the best pleased. In fact, booing Verstappen on the podium. George Russell came third. Not too bad, given that he started second and Verstappen was behind him. So it was almost natural that Verstappen would get through at some stage. Uh, So another podium for Mercedes. And then you had Carlos Sainz in fourth place, Hamilton fifth. Sergio Perez was sixth place, with Norris seventh. Frustrated because he could have had fifth. Another shout out uh, was, I said, um, have I handed... The victory of no breaks to Joe. It depends on
1: whether I can guess who you were going to shout out, doesn't it? Um, I'll guess it was Nick DeVries who you were going to shout it out. It was. Scoring points on his Williams debut.
0: But who is Nick DeVries? Maybe we'll talk about it in a few moments' time. Well, Joe, you won no breaks this week. How do you feel?
1: Uh, like Nick DeVries. What? Fairly old he is pretty old, isn't he? I didn't, I didn't realise he was. Twenty-seven. That old. Yeah, Mario, I didn't realise Alex Albon was twenty-six as well. Like I would have guessed twenty-four, but yeah.
0: Mm, yeah, well, a lot of them are twenty-four. Russell, Verstappen, mm-hmm. Leclerc.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would have had him in that category, but no.
0: But yeah, there you are. So <laughs> let's let's move on to our biggest winner, Joe. Who's your biggest winner?
1: Nick de Vries.
0: Okay, let's talk about Nick de Vries. <laughs> <laughs> so he's he grew up in the well, he grew up in the Netherlands, but that's not what I was about to say there. He started his kind of F1 linked career in the McLaren Young Driver Program, didn't he? Mm. And he's been around most of the Mercedes
1: Powered, driven teams
0: yeah. since then,
1: including this weekend. Like I mean I can't think of the last time a driver did two teams in one weekend. Um I don't know if you
0: And he was he was sat in the Mercedes garage having a coffee not the garage, the motorhome, having a coffee when he found out that he would be coming in to cover Alex Albon, who had a bout of appendicitis. Doesn't sound very pleasant. I've seen people have appendicitis and that, that's painful enough. Mm. Can't really imagine. Um <laughs> how that would feel. Although Alex Albon was in good spirits. Might that be your line of the weekend? No, no, I didn't have
1: that.
0: Because his, his tweet, uh, let's see if we can remember it. Uh, What was it? Negatives of getting appendicitis, pain and not being able to compete in a Williams, which should do well this weekend. Positives. I'll be lighter for Singapore.
1: And a cool scar.
0: And a cool scar. That's the other thing he said. Yeah. So Nick de Vries, he was driving an Aston Martin on Friday, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, I think he's probably glad that he didn't end up racing that Aston Martin. Um, That's a good point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he got he got basically a sort of equivalent of uh, the first teamer getting injured and uh, sort of having to fill in. It doesn't doesn't really happen much in F1, but. He really managed to uh, sort of make the most of it, out-qualifying and out-racing Nicholas Latifi at the the first attempt. So,
0: Nicholas Latifi now is 21st in a 20-driver championship.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: Although there's 22 drivers in the championship now because of Nico Hülkenberg covering Vettel. But the point is, he's made him look like a right mug, hasn't he?
1: Yeah, it's not gone well. I mean, as I say, he's my biggest winner because... That's about as good as an audition you can get, basically beating the person who's, you know, who's competition, who is your competition for that F1 seat.
0: Yeah, because Nick, Nick is linked to that Williams team, isn't he? Oh, for next year. Yep. And he didn't just beat Nicholas Latifi. He scored points on his debut as well, which is no mean feat in what mm-hmm. is. According to the points The slowest car on the grid
1: Yeah I mean uh, Admittedly Like people I mean I think I predicted Williams to do well This uh, race Um, I think we
0: both did But we said Alex Albon Would score points Didn't we So does that Does that count His car scored points
1: (laughs) Yeah we'll We'll take that
0: Um, That was a great shout. Biggest winner. Need to freeze. Uh, Well, I suppose you could say Max Verstappen was your biggest winner, given that he's won five races in a row now.
1: Mm -hmm. Potentially only one away from the championship now.
0: Yes, indeed. He could win in Singapore and he beat his rivals at home. But I'm going to give his rivals the biggest winner because I'm simply mad or stupid or a bit of both. And the, the reason I'm going to give Ferrari the biggest winner award, even though they lost at home, was because I don't think they did anything wrong. Yeah, they they don't they they don't have as fast a car as Red Bull, and they managed to get second and fourth. And while you may think being beaten by George Russell's not amazing, Carlos Sainz started 18th, so that's kind of fair enough. That there seemed to be decent strategy. They did the right thing, bringing. Uh, Charles Leclerc in you could argue that he could have been on hard tires but as the race played out actually the hard tires weren't that effective and people didn't really enjoy them so while they may have had the durability I sense Leclerc still would have finished second so yeah yeah they'll they'll be frustrated that they couldn't have that that final chance uh that Max Verstappen Abu Dhabi 2021-esque chance of being able to have an attack despite being quite far away and and basically having already lost the race having a second bite of the cherry but yeah i think they will be happy with the way that they performed at their home race other than the fact that they didn't win still the crowd came out they gave them loads of support and were chanting leclerc's name and I just love that podium as well. So the fact that there's a Ferrari driver on there is always great. It's a shame about the Italian national anthem that we didn't really hear too much of because someone forgot to turn the volume <laughs> up after the moment of silence for the Queen. But but yeah, all in all, I think it was the best that Ferrari could hope for. And Carlos Sainz put on a great show. Um, Leclerc got pole position. Yeah, congratulations to ferrari but yeah i'm probably gonna agree with you and go Mm. for well one of the dutchmen can probably have biggest winner but it's probably nick devries yeah congratulations to him uh that's kind of linked to one of my awards later on i might as well say it now actually um i gave nick devries my honorable mention for similar reasons um I know I've gone off the beaten track here, Joe. What are we doing? Um, we don't have Jimmy keeping us on the straight and narrow. <laughs> I'm not that's sure that's his be. role
1: normally on this podcast, but there we go.
0: Well, it, it seems the, the way this time. But uh, my biggest loser, Lando Norris, because he could have finished fifth um, and he didn't have a great start. So he could have, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> there, there was a lot of could haves, but he... He's still finished seventh, which is where he seems to be finishing quite frequently, yeah. actually. Um, just outside the top six cars. It is the best of the rest uh, sort of position, but there were a couple of moments, one in his control, one in his team's control, where he could have been higher up. Mm. And I thought Ricardo was doing really well up until his yeah. retirement as well. <laughs> For Ricardo and a McLaren, which seems mm. really patronising, but it's true, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think... McLaren kind of lost out big time because um, Alpine didn't score any points this race. This was quite a big chance for them Correct. to make a big indent into them, um, you know, with a double figures point haul. Um, and they only got six points in the end. So,
0: As we know from your totting up, Alpine don't often miss the points with both of their drivers. Or either of their drivers. How far drivers.
1: Are McLaren behind them now? So yes, they're not. They're not too far behind. They're um, 18 points behind. So obviously, okay. getting an extra, an extra four or five points this weekend would have gone quite a way as to bringing that gap down. But
0: as we've said before, Alpine do seem like they've got the better, better package. In most they do track. at
1: the moment. Yeah, that like they've definitely got a better all-round. It's a really car.
0: big opportunity missed.
1: Mhm. Definitely.
0: Uh, do Do you agree with uh, Lando Norris, or have you got someone else the you're you're putting down as the biggest loser?
1: Um, I think I'll have to go with Aston Martin. Um, it's just that they've had a couple of these weekends this year where you just think, "What are you doing?" They were miles off the pace in qualifying. Like, I mean, this, this is a good opportunity for a um a sort of lower order car to maybe you know getting to actually qualify about 13th and end up starting eighth or something like that and the fact that they're not even in the mix for something like that um the fact that they ran a really tiny rear wing to compensate for their lack of straight line speed but weren't even fast in a straight line as well as the corners i mean <laughs> i saw i saw It's not going to be my line of the week but i saw a tweet um where an f2 car went through the speed trap at 335 kilometers an hour and seb's fastest one in qualifying was about 328 so literally going slower oh, than an no. f2 car um
0: gp2 engines
1: yeah exactly um so yeah you just it's just been a couple of times this year where you think aston martin what are you doing
0: and you know who's not going to be particularly pleased by all of this.
1: Mr. Fernando Alonso. There,
0: there is him. <clears throat> I was also thinking of Lord Stroll.
1: Well, no, he's not going to be happy at all. But
0: He's going to be beating his fist <laughs> on, on the table somewhere, demanding answers from probably Martin Whitmarsh.
1: Mm, well, I mean, they're, they're second last in the constructors, aren't they, Aston Martin? Um, yeah. Team with the budget that they've got it's not really good enough, is it? Um, it feels yeah.
0: like they've spent most of their money on their new factory rather than the car mm-hmm. this year.
1: Yeah. I mean, haven't even mentioned that they both broke down in the race yet either.
0: There is that too. <laughs> well, it, it probably wasn't worth them uh, finishing.
1: Yeah, I'm going to say, like, I mean, they were, I mean, but just what a complete disaster of a week, like, awfully slow. And then both cars break down.
0: Well, at least an Aston Martin was the first car over the finish line. (laughs) Yeah. In the safety car. Um, (laughs) But yeah, not a great weekend for Aston Martin. Also, I know I've already given my biggest loser as Lando. Not a great weekend for another car company in the form of Porsche.
1: Yeah, um, their deal with Red Bull stalled, hasn't it? Well, well I'd say more than stalled. Dream. It's been,
0: uh, yeah. Yeah, it's rolled back down the hill after the stall.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so they, they were willing, by the sounds of it, to buy 50% of Red Bull technologies, so get half of the team, basically. Mm-hmm. And Red Bull have said, basically, no. Mm-hmm. You know, well, the people at Red Bull HQ, like actual Red Bull, they were probably quite interested in it. Um, But it sounds like the likes of Nui and Horner were very much against it because they want to be the ones fully in control uh, and they don't want
1: someone,
0: some other team or some other part of the team slowing down decisions, basically, so... They've not gone with Porsche and it's left Porsche in a difficult situation and and VW as well because they want to get into Formula 1. Formula 1 want Porsche Mm -hmm. to come into Formula 1 because it would be a right coup to get two new engine suppliers uh, coming in.
1: If you were Andretti right now, would you be on the phone to Porsche saying, hi, I've got a nice fresh F1 attempt if you want to come and back it?
0: That would be a real opportunity because the only other way that you can see Porsche coming into F one is if they got an Audi engine and badged it Porsche yeah. because they're both underneath the VW group. But it the competition between Audi and Porsche is almost it's almost so intense it's hate. They they don't mm. Porsche don't want Audi's engine and Audi don't want to give Porsche the engine. So it, there might be mediation required at the board level of vw but yeah i think that's probably the best way that porsche are going to get into formula one and that would be through andretti so and i think maybe, that would be a
1: win-win really we'd, get an, ex- would, we'd get an extra team on the grid that would be properly backed by a historic company
0: two historic racing companies exactly to be fair um, but it's whether the other teams accept that mm. because they they were dragging their feet in terms of letting andretti in in the first place and that seems to have slowed down. So hopefully those two get together and make it happen, because otherwise Formula One's great new engine regulations for 2026 are only getting one new manufacturer in, whereas it could have been two, unless Red Bull and Honda can get back together, which I think Red Bull would probably prefer over Porsche. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean...
0: It's just whether Honda high up, they I don't know whether they want it still, Mm -hmm. even though... They are, they are probably to a certain extent thinking, oh, I wish we'd stayed because
1: yeah, it's. They'll have so their badge good. on another championship winning car this season.
0: Precisely. Uh, so it's a really difficult one. Um, but I think that through either um, Honda or Porsche, Formula One will need a, a new manufacturer other than Audi coming in. So it'll be interesting what Mr. DeMille Carly can do, whether he can unite people. Um, It sounds like uh, Mohammed Bin Salayan is getting all of the team principals together for a meeting on Monday after the Italian Grand Prix. So I wonder if that will be a topic discussed um, amongst other things. Mm. Although safety cars ending races might be something that is discussed. uh, But I think we need to go to our moment of the week. My moment of the week, I... I'd already mentioned in our, our rundown and that was Hamilton's move on Norris and Gasly. It's just pure racecraft. It was akin to off goes Leclerc, through goes Hamilton. Um <laughs> uh, back in Silverstone where Hamilton basically third wheels a battle and then just goes past both of them while they're, mm. they're having it out. Um yeah, just nice tidy racing. Uh, all around, really, it was amazing. Uh, a
1: few laps, that to be fair, wasn't it? I mean, as, as, as I said during the rundown, uh, you came out in 12th and you're like, Oh, you know, should have the pace, but obviously, Monza can be quite a difficult place to sort of fight your way through because of the DRS trains. Um, so to go from 12th to 6th, then and...
0: there were quite a few overtakes, to be fair,
1: yeah, 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 there were. Um, in general, mm-hmm. but you, you thought when he came out, Oh, it might be quite difficult. But made light work of those sort of six cars.
0: Yeah, it was it was almost two or three laps, was it? It was crazy. Uh, your moment of the weekend.
1: Oh, uh, speaking of, of week- making light work of things, uh, Max Verstappen's first few laps, um, specifically his first lap. You know, I think we all knew he was somewhat inevitable this weekend. But to go from seventh to third on the first lap, y- you already knew it was uh, over by then. Uh, then to go breeze past George Russell a lap later. Um, yeah, it was it was just, like, it was the inevitability of it, but just, you thought maybe someone would be able to hold him up for a couple of laps.
0: Still impressive, though. Yeah,
1: oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, that's what I'm saying. I mean, making such light work of those cars, he just breezed past them. Um, would-
0: Do you think it is like we were talking about before, almost that centre effect of once you see Max Verstappen Mm -hmm. in that red bull in your mirrors, it's like there's no point in fighting it?
1: Yeah, I mean, even George Russell in second didn't see any point fighting it, did he at all? Didn't go defensive, Um, so...
0: I wonder if Lewis would.
1: I don't know. I, I think it depends on the situation, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, George did uh, in, in Spain this year, put up a brilliant defence yeah. against Max. Um, so, yeah, I just don't think it was worth it in this particular occasion. But, yeah, in- incredible first lap from him. And that's exactly what he needed. Um, just just sort of that ability to just do exactly what you need to do.
0: And he's got a fresh engine part.
1: Yeah, exactly. We've, we've seen what that can do in the past. So
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter where he starts i think that's seven different positions he's won from this season now Mm -hmm. so yeah well done max and and good shout so yeah i've already given my honorable mention to nick devries well done nick uh but joe you've got an opportunity to give someone a shout out oh yeah who's it gonna be it's
1: tough couple of decisions here um we've what? I've got, I've got four drivers written down that I could pick, and I feel like we've mentioned three of them. So I'll just quickly say that I I considered Norris, Hamilton and Sainz all for great drives, um, but we've mentioned... I
0: was surprised that Sainz didn't get driver of the day.
1: Yeah, Even yeah. though
0: Nick De Vries probably deserved it.
1: Well, the only one we haven't mentioned really is Guan Zhou, I think, drove a really mm. good race today. Um, and given that I've mentioned the three that I just said there, I'll say him. Um, he's actually almost been outperforming Bottas in the second half of the season. Um, yeah, I think Bottas had some rotten luck as well, um, to go with that. But yeah, to, to be 10th in an Alfa Romeo that's not looking the fastest at the moment, is it? It started off really sort of promising at the start of the year, but has dropped off. Um,
0: it has, but they are still... Just behind McLaren and Alpine. So they're not just behind. They're
1: they're, they're just behind in terms of places. They've got less than half the points. But but yeah, they're still still pretty far clear of Haas, Alpha Tauri, and Aston Martin. Alpha May have 52 points and Haas have 34. Um, Admittedly, most of that came from Valtteri Bottas' mega first half of the year um but yeah as a side- there was a
0: moment in this race where you you know Bottas and Hamilton were at the back of, mm-hmm. they were at the back um which is crazy in itself given where they were last year I remember looking to see where Bottas was and he was in seventh place at one stage I was like yeah wow he's doing well but he's just not pitted yet
1: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> but it, I guess that showed how close kind of seventh to last was in this race, which was why there was probably so much overtaking.
1: Yeah, it was basically a train the whole lap, wasn't it? Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, nevertheless, uh, congratulations to Joe Yeah, Wann.
1: I also think he probably would have got De Vries if he hadn't had that um, bad luck with uh, Max lapping him. I don't know if you see, he was all over the back of him yeah. until he had to let Max through. Yeah, you are so, correct. Yeah. But yeah, I he's uh, think his efforts for the whole second half of the season so far have been very good
0: indeed i agree with that it's time for the aj on the line line of the week and i love it when it comes to this even though we're not going to get Jimmy's, we're going to get joe's right now
1: um so mine is from lewis hamilton after the race reflecting on the uh decision to bring out the safety car um and he said uh, that's the rule there's only one time that it's been changed so yeah I don't know if you is your is yours
0: to do with the is yours to do with the safety car situation as well. It is. Yeah, I might as well. We might as well get I them as well. and
1: then have
0: the. Yeah, because it's it's the different side of the argument, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes from Gary Lineker, who wasn't watching the Formula One race at all, but he still tweeted something relevant to it because he said, "Bonkers' decision to stop play in the cricket, such an anticlimax for all." those at the oval mm-hmm. and watching at home sometimes cricket doesn't help itself
1: well there you go
0: sorry i just saw some similarities there yeah yeah
1: yeah <laughs> i think if you uh replace the word cricket with f1
0: and the oval with monza and, i mean monza's yeah, even you... got
1: an oval so
0: it has i've walked around it not that i've ever told anyone that <laughs> um oh it was good um but but yeah i i think lewis is right in terms of you got to stick to the rules. I think the side that you could argue through Gary Lineker's words, translated with F1 and Monza rather than oval and cricket, is that they were really slow in terms of getting the safety car yeah. in the right place. They picked up the wrong driver, and there was a lap in which the incident was clear, and they didn't they didn't get the safety car in. It could have been one last lap dash, which would have been really cool. Or just red flag it? Where do you stand on, on the red flag? it?
1: I think the problem is that we've got two options that aren't suitable. You can either run the safety car and finish under the safety car, which is not great and anti-climax, or you can red flag it and basically just sort of have a, sort of a, a race that just sort of feels a bit cheap at the end, in my opinion. You like reducing everything down to a standing start where a lot can change yeah. and it feels a bit cheap. I think... If it were me, I'd try and come up with sort of a, a situation where you can red flag it, not have any tire changes or anything like that. Yeah. And do a rolling start. Because effectively that would just be a safety car, but without but without the lost laps in between. So yeah. I think there needs to be some kind of red flag that they can employ in the last ten laps of the race to, you know, just bring the race to a stop. And get the cars mm. in order, um, and then and then do a rolling start because I think that sort of, that sort of eliminates the gimmickiness of it.
0: Yeah, the key thing is not being able to change tires as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. not being able to change tires, and yeah, I think because that just sort of gets rid of sort of the as I, I think when they red flag it and do a standing start, it just feels a bit cheap. Um, yeah, like it's just it's not quite right um but yeah i think you know i can't see any issues with my genius plan um but
0: nor can i maybe maybe they'll come up with that idea in the meeting tomorrow
1: i, d- I don't understand why we can't have a rolling start after a after a red flag because that that used to be the case didn't it? I, th- I think it did
0: um and then they stopped doing that i'm not i'm not sure really why exciting to have a standing start.
1: Yeah. But it, I mean, if you're going to re- basically, in effect, reduce a race to two laps with a standing start, I don't, I don't think it's quite right.
0: I think the standing start thing is okay if the red flags in at some point in the middle of the race. Yeah, because you you've got plenty of time to to sort it out. But in this instance, that you bring in a rule of last ten laps, the also, last yeah. ten laps, it should be a rolling start. You're right.
1: Mhm, and Just and too. no ability to change tires. Yeah, I I do kind of see where they come from. If if it's like a a sort of like lap twelve thing where there's cars been damaged and you get that, then I then I then I kind of support the decision to be able to like work on the cars and stuff.
0: Correct, and and also the standing start. I think that's exciting if you can implement it yeah. without it feeling cheap. So if it's in the middle of the race, then. That was that's yeah. fine. For example, yeah. Monza two years ago when Gasly won, mm-hmm. that that was still quite cool, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: and it did, it didn't make the race feel gimmicky or cheap or like impact the no, sport exact- and integrity of it. So yeah, I think they just need to say last ten laps or you know however many kilometers because I know they like to do it in like the kilometers. So you know last fifty kilometers of the race or something like that. Um, then they can basically, in effect, any instance that would bring out the safety car they can just throw out this red flag let's call a virtual red flag where the cars trickle back down to the pits they line up in then you have a sort of on the lap out from the pits they sort themselves out get themselves in order and then we have a rolling start from just just basically exactly like a safety car restart would be the only Correct. difference is we haven't lost any laps. And that wouldn't be a concern well, on fuel or anything, sir.
0: So. Well, Joe and I have just fixed F1 um, mm. and it's a shame that we're still having this conversation however many months after Abu Dhabi 2021. Yeah. That's what I will say because that should have been something discussed yeah, after that race really as well. they really should have
1: thought of that, shouldn't
0: they? Yeah. Uh, after what had happened, you'd think that they'd bring in new rules but no, they've got some sort of... Well, I've not seen any difference in terms of this WYSI VAR system mm-hmm. backup base or whatever they're talking about. But, yeah. Uh, the the other thing that, that can get lost is um, how long it took for the grid to get sorted out. Yeah. Surely a computer can work that out.
1: hmm Yeah. I mean, how do they work out in what order to apply the penalties? Because it...
0: So... So... If you've got, say, a five-place grid penalty or 10-place grid penalty or something like that, they go first. You do that. And then the back of grids, that is a worse penalty to have than a, a something-place. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is why, if, say, Carlos Sainz was given a 20-place grid penalty, which he wasn't, and Hamilton's got a back of grid, Hamilton would be behind Carlos Sainz, yeah. whatever their qualifying result. Um, It did did feel a bit silly, again, um, having to wait so long, but also the fact that the qualifying positions did not reflect where they started in the race for the second time in three weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, you need to stop the big teams from using fresh engines every weekend, but there's got to be a better way of doing that that doesn't penalise the driver as much, don't you think?
1: I mean... Yeah, I mean, I suppose the driver does score points using those engines, so, but I think...
0: The driver loses points when they have an engine penalty, and then they lose even more points when, at the next race, they've got to start from the back.
1: Yeah, that is the, the, the like, there's a difference between sort of mechanical failures and just sort of shoving new engines in all the time. Um, yeah, yeah. They
0: As part, part of F1 to build a reliable car. Mm. You've got to be able to do that as part of what Formula 1's about. But could you potentially take away points? You could have a points penalty instead.
1: I don't know. It's an interesting one. From the um, Constructors'
0: Championship rather than the drivers? That, that might be a way of deterring. Teams
1: often, you know, would they just sort of accept the Constructors' Penalty to benefit the drivers? I don't know.
0: Maybe, and you'd need to substantially be penalising them points-wise because, for example, Red Bull are 100 points up the road from Ferrari and Mercedes, so they could be putting fresh engines into the end of the season and be fine (laughs) if, if say, it's only like five points. um, I don't know. We haven't got a solution to that one yet, but it's still something that needs addressing. So maybe when we adjourn in a couple of weeks' time after Singapore, which is the next race, uh, we'll have some solutions for that. Maybe Jimmy will already have one and we can just ask him for his wisdom. But we do need to pop in a couple of four predictions between us on what's going to happen at the Singapore Grand Prix. We're going back and... It should be quite exciting. There wasn't a Singapore Grand Prix last year, was Was there? No, there wasn't. No, the year before. Nor the year before. So it's been quite a while. I do quite enjoy the Singapore Grand Prix and Japan, which is after. So I'm really excited, actually. Um, But what's your sensible prediction for Singapore, Joe?
1: Surely this is a Ferrari win. Surely this is a track that will suit the Ferrari more than the Red Bull. If ever... I mean, it's got to be. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for a Charles Leclerc win.
0: Yeah, I, I, I will say two Ferraris on the podium.
1: <laughs> yeah. You're so not willing not, to commit to Max Verstappen not winning, are you?
0: No, because he's he probably is going to win. Yeah,
1: isn't he? but I mean, if any track isn't going to suit the Red Bull, surely it's this one.
0: You're right, but it's Max Verstappen in that Red Bull. Mm,
1: yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like uh, Lewis in 2018. You know yeah car that whatever you do just, just doesn't just doesn't suit the 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 car at all, but turns up and pulls something out of the bag
0: now, bold prediction is really tough for me because i'm I'm thinking Mercedes is the other car on the podium as a bold prediction,
1: yeah
0: <laughs> but they they are good in the slow speed corners, aren't they yeah but they're not good with the bumps, and it's a bumpy track, Singapore, isn't it, mm-hmm. and they weren't great in Azerbaijan. So, am I going to be bold? But yeah, I'm by going to be bold. Has a much
1: longer straight.
0: So true. I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to say Lewis Hamilton wins.
1: Oh no! Well, I hope you're <laughs> right. Um, I'll I'll go for an Alonso podium as my bold one. Ooh. I reckon Alpine will probably be quite good around Singapore. Um, Alonso
0: Alonso's well known for his brilliant victory in Singapore, isn't he? Yeah, that he got on merit. Wow.
1: Did he? I'm sure he got another one at some point. I'm sure I remember him winning in a Ferrari. He, uh,
0: 2010.
1: He might well have done. I reckon he won it in 2010.
0: Yeah, look it up. I think I think you're right because Vettel would have probably won in Singapore the other three years, and I know Lewis won in 2009 Singapore,
1: and would have won 2012. Um, yes,
0: were it not for a gearbox failure.
1: Yep, 2010. Fernando Alonso second, Sebastian Vettel third, Mark Webber. That is some knowledge right there.
0: It was 2011 Singapore that Hamilton and Webber came together front wing to Mm -hmm. retire. We are some right F1 nerds. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, it's time to hand the microphone to Joe. And it's time for the takeover.
1: Oh, what's happened this week then? (laughs) Someone managed to get their announcement in just before the Queen died. Uh, There has been a significant... Managerial change In the Premier League yes. So maybe we'll talk About that um, Graham Potter has gone to Chelsea after They weirdly sacked um, what, Thomas Tuchel Thomas Tuchel who had a very successful Spell at the club Um and look maybe some chelsea fans will disagree with me i know i know what it's like when you support in a club and you're watching them week in week out and the media is going oh what are you talking about he's doing a great job when you know you're watching the football and you know just not but on the other hand when someone's when you're champions league maybe that's a bit the Super different Cup. where it may, and you know it just It seems a bit of a silly decision by the owner, and again, I know it's frustrating when people say that, but it seems especially weird when the owner's just spent £250 million, I think which is the record spent by an English club in the window, on his players, on the players that he on wanted. On players
0: that the manager had, d- yeah, had exactly. been saying he wanted. And
1: then and then you sack him the game after the transfer window closes. It just kind of seems a bit weird. I, I also saw a tweet saying that um, the owner was confused as to why Tuchel wasn't playing 4 so I mean, <laughs> yes, the switch is a uh, not a formation that would work very well. Brought Graham Potter in. I imagine if there are any Brighton fans, like, oh, let's not kid ourselves, there aren't. Um, but <laughs> hold on, we've
0: had a get, we've had a, a friend of the show, a guest on the podcast in the past, Mike, who's a Brighton fan. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm sure he and the other three Brighton fans are very upset at the news that <laughs> that, that that Graham Potter. No, I. I'm, I'm, Graham
0: Potter has been doing brilliantly yes, for Brighton. Yes, Where are they yes, fourth in I mean, the table? Look, I would
1: not have been upset if uh, if we'd got Graham Potter in. Um, I think he's doing an excellent job, um, and and it's good football to watch as well. Um, exciting football. Um, I don't know if they'll be able to keep it up without him because, um, you know, you you look at Brighton's team on paper, you, you, I mean, Brighton fans might disagree, um, and you don't think it's anything special. Um, it's not obviously a very good team, but um, to sort of be competing at the level that they are at the moment is a clearly a sort of big tactical achievement. Um, I think it's quite a big risk by Potter to go into... I was
0: going to say, how would you feel... If you were offered that job at Chelsea. Because you know you're probably going to get sacked in the next 18 months.
1: Yeah. I mean it's a job that you can't really turn down. Um, again. Brighton fans. I know how uh, infuriating it is to listen to the news reporters going. Oh. The top six club. They'll just have this manager and this player. But unfortunately it is true. Um, that you can't turn down offers like that. Um but big risk if it, you know, if, if he starts and loses a few games to begin with, the pressure is going to be right on from the start. So, yeah, I'm not sure how it's going to work out.
0: He's got some great players to work with, though, mm-hmm. hasn't he?
1: But again, it's often harder as a, you know, an unproven manager, which I think Graham, it's fair to say, he still is an unproven manager at that level. Um, and it's hard for a manager like that to go into a dressing room of big, successful players and sort of implement their ideology so that's another sort of risky factor
0: it's unusual as well to have an English manager in a top six club isn't it
1: yeah um unfortunately I think that's because most English managers have proven themselves pretty useless over the over the years so um yeah they've just not been at sort of the forefront I don't think an Englishman's ever won the Premier League have they um manager um so, and that, that is just the Premier League. I'm not uh, not denying that football existed before 30 years ago. Um, but yeah.
0: Yes, you are.:
1: I Don't think I am. I don't think I'd deny all of my team's major trophies. <laughs>
0: um, so is Potter going to do all right at Chelsea?
1: I think he will, yeah. Um, I think
0: as long as um, how long will you stay?
1: Well, all right by Chelsea standards, I reckon two and a half
0: years. That's pretty. That's pretty long for a Chelsea manager, yeah. you're right? <laughs> it seems that that, that was kind kind of the thing that was inherited with the club. The 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 short fuse mm. of a manager. If you have a few bad games, you're out. Which is a, is a shame, really, because it's a culture within all of football that is not great. Right. And I think I saw a tweet. i can't remember who but it's amazing how impatient football teams are but how patient formula one teams are yeah so thomas tuchel has been doing he's had a a few tough games but he actually won his last premier league game that he he coached chelsea with Mm -hmm. and he's out yeah but bonotto is still (laughs) at ferrari despite all of his best efforts so yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, really. But mm-hmm. I, I guess you've got a wider pool that you can select managers from than Formula One team bosses is the argument to that. I, ca- I guess that is the the big news, and I wouldn't say it's convenient, the Queen dying um, by any stretch, but it at least gives Graham Potter a bit more time to, to get to know his players and implement his strategies. But also... For Brighton to get a new manager in, mm-hmm. so it could it could work out to help them. I know it hasn't helped all teams uh, having this impromptu break, and it is really going to increase the the demand on the players as we get closer and closer to the World Cup, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're not going to have Premier League football for ages, really. <laughs> They're uh, you know missing this round of games, and then there's only a few more, and then it's the World Cup.
0: If I were the FA, I wouldn't do the postponed games before Christmas because that is putting pressure on what is the league where most of the English English players play. Mm-hmm. That is putting them under even more pressure than they're already under. Yeah. So I'd put the games afterwards if I was them because they've they got to think selfishly on this one. And in terms of football matches not going ahead, I know that there's quite a bit of talk on that. Do you think that it's the right decision given that you need to have quite a bit of police presence at games. And there's millions of people going to London, so they probably need support there. No, do I don't think, think it's the right decision. I
1: think pretty much every other sport has continued this weekend.
0: It's right. It's right down to the grassroots as well. Mm-hmm. Like I was talking to my friend that that plays on a Sunday, just a local uh, a local team, N- nothing Premier League about it, but she's still not playing. Yeah. because it's at all levels yeah so.
1: i i think it's a poor decision i don't want to get too political about the reasons why i think it's a poor decision but i think that football's kind of missed out um on a weekend that a lot of other sports have gone ahead so yeah
0: well my opinion over the the, the police practicalities is that the newspapers would have given football authorities a bad name saying it's disrespectful and the football authorities mm. were probably fearful of that
1: well i wonder why football of all sports would get that press whereas cricket and certain and other sports be. might get and
0: horse racing
1: like and horse racing might get a bit of a more positive press around that
0: Well, let you decide amongst yourselves on that one uh, <laughs> but, but yeah it is interesting isn't it um and there would have been something quite special about the national anthem being sung by loads of people in a big stadium. That would have been quite a fitting tribute, I think. But um, you've always got the odd idiot as well, haven't you? And maybe they were fearful of that as well. Some some chance that would not be that would not have been as savoury.
1: Yeah, I mean, we were going to play Liverpool, so um, yeah, not calling out Liverpool because. Liverpool Liverpool would have booed the National Anthem,
0: 100%. Oh, yeah, they did at the FA Cup? Yeah. Why do they?
1: Uh, they don't view themselves as English.
0: What do they view themselves as? Scouts. Anyway, I think I think that that was quite an interesting discussion, and I, I think I've really enjoyed speaking to I don't just think, actually. I know I've really enjoyed speaking to you, Joe. So thank you for <laughs> your time. Thanks very much. Uh, <laughs> um... Thank you if you're still listening to this. Um, don't forget that you can follow us on the socials, on TikTok, AJOnTheLine, uh, on Instagram, jw 44 on Twitter, AJOnTheLine. Go to the website at AJOnTheLine.com. Don't forget to subscribe to us if you haven't already done so, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you want to listen to your podcast. Once again, thanks for listening. Thank you, Joe. Jimmy will be back, hopefully in two weeks' time. In two weeks' time, we got the Singapore Grand Prix. I don't know any Singaporean. But for now, ciao ragazzi. Grazie ragazzi. Not this time we can say Forza Ferrari, uh, but that's the way it goes sometimes. Have a nice two weeks off from us, and we'll speak to you soon.